If you're looking for a great way to make money, start driving with Uber. If you've used the Uber app to get around town, driving with Uber is just as easy and just as great. Here are some reasons people love driving with Uber. Drive when you want. Need something outside of the nine to five? As an independent contractor with Uber, you've got freedom and flexibility to drive whenever you have time. Set your own schedule so you can be there for all of life's most important moments. You make good money. Got a car? Turn it into a money machine. The city is buzzing and Uber makes it easy for you to cash in on the action. Plus, you've already got everything you need to get started. No office, no boss. Whether you're supporting your family or saving for something big, Uber gives you the freedom to get behind the wheel when it makes sense for you. Choose when you drive, where you go, and who you pick up. So what are you waiting for? You have a car, you have a license, you can make thousands of dollars in fares your first month driving with Uber. Sign up today to drive with Uber. Visit drivewithuber.com. That's drivewithuber.com. Drivewithuber.com. And tell them your big brown buddy, Chris Denson from Innovation Crush, sent you. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me again, Chris Denson. Yay, whoop de doo um, In case you guys are tuning in for the first time ever, this show covers all things marketing, innovation, ideas, creativity, people who are inventing and reinventing the way we, we do things. Um, and today... Uh, first of all, you have a very fun name. I'm gonna just say, I'm just gonna say that. Um, Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, Damien Kulosh. There you go. Every time I say it, I want to go Kulosh. Well, Kulosh. I don't know how to pronounce. Apparently, I get asked all the time if how if it's pronounced Kulosh or Kulash, and I'm like, eh, I don't know. Oh, what what in? But I'm told by people who are close to me that I tend to say Kulash when when asked and when when I'm not paying attention. I'm like, yeah, I'm Damien Kulash. But if people ask me how to pronounce it, I think I say coulage. So I don't know anything. It depends. It depends if you're with Hoity Toity Company, you go coulage. Yeah, and then yeah. if it's just you know some regular schmo, coulage. But I think I should care more than I do. I don't know. I think I should have an answer just for the sake of having an answer. Well, also I read that your name is uh, historically is actually different than coulage. It is true. My name. Well, it, it, uh, and you've done your research. If if that's out there in the world, I did. Maybe. You know, I did a couple of highlighted searches on the on the well, interwebs. Done. I think this is the story you're talking about. Then that when my my when some ancestors of mine arrived Ellis Island style, it was K U L A S with the hot check thing. Yes. Under it. Or I don't know is that a hot check. The one underneath. I don't even know what still... a hot check is. It sounds it sounds like a, a when you give somebody a bad check that they, yeah. that you stole. Ha check. <laughs> it's um, it's uh, it's I, it's the the Czechoslovakian or. Hungarian, whatever the S with the little thing underneath it, yes, which was said kulash, but of course the Ellis Island folks were like, "You kulash?" <laughs> like, I don't think so, buddy. Yep. So they added an H, but I would, I kind of, it would be great if I was Damien Kulas. Is the is the fish sticks story true? That is also true, but that comes from my mother's side of this family, which my 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 mother's who is a Mar M A H E R, um, she, her father, invented the modern fish stick. How, how do you invent it? <laughs> well, <laughs> I just learned. It's like, it's like my favorite story ever. First of all, on I mean, the I'm, radio, on the way to this show today, I learned on the radio that fish and chips was actually a, uh, was was brought by uh, Jews to England. It was, I think, Hasids or something. I mean, maybe it must not have been Hasids, but fish and chips was a big Jewish thing. Apparently, anyways, frozen fish parts was available pre my grandfather. My grandfather was a, a bio 
chemist um, before he was in no after he was in service in World War II, and he discovered that a way by which you could grind up fish, freeze them. And then when you unfroze them, they wouldn't fall back into a pile of ground up fish, but rather stay the shape that they were. So basically put glue in it. Yeah, that's what it was. It was Elmer's. His name is Elmer. No, um, he, uh, so so he invented fish sticks, and and then he brought them to General Foods where he was working, and and uh, you know he'd done it as an employee of General Foods, and they did not do anything with his invention for a while. So he was like, "Can I go exploit this?" And they said yes. So he went and made, I believe it was called Commodore Foods, and um, they exploited it for a while until until General Foods, I think, was like, "Wow, that's actually working." Well, I guess we are going to do that then, and he was put out of business fairly quickly that's a, i mean it's a pretty awesome uh, and um when did you learn that story like because you know sometimes we hear those grandfather like those grandparents stories like grandpa did what like yeah. is it or did you know all along like, i son, learned you come early, from a long early line on not yeah son you come along from a long <laughs> line of of <laughs> processed fish, food fish stickermans yeah <laughs> fish stickermans i know i learned that early because i loved fish sticks as a child as many kids do and i loved them more because we never got to have them because my mother hated them because she grew up eating only fish sticks she had my you know, my my she was she was a one of seven kids and you know it was a, a large not particularly wealthy family so they you know grandpa just brought home what you know he fed everybody with what was at the office so right. it was a lot of fish sticks uh, I feel like this whole episode could be about the fish sticks but it won't um, so, you know basically everything I know now but it would be fun to keep making up it would stuff no it would, this is yes we could yeah. do a completely fictitious show and then record the real one afterward uh, but I, I think. It's interesting that that is kind of in your lineage, especially mm. as you know you and OK Go have fishy. Uh, you, you're a bunch of fishy guys, uh, so I just want to see you face to face to see if you're uh, real. But this the the level of creativity that goes into your your work, um, both on the music side and the visual side. You know, when did I, I guess we'll stick with the history side of it? When did that start to happen for you? Whether it's in you know in this band, when did you kind of mix those? The, you know that kind. Of curiosity and creativity. Um, uh, the, the 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 most honest answer here is that we didn't uh, we they didn't start separate to us. Um, I, you know, like in 1998, OK Go started. Um, our first practice was in 1998. I think our first show was 99. I had graduated college in 1998. I had moved to Chicago from um, from Rhode Island where I went to school. And I had several friends there, and I was going to play some. Sh- I had these songs I wanted to play, and they had a band already, and blah blah blah. Whatever. The band had a sort of traditional band beginnings in that way. At that time, the only thing imaginable to a, to kids who wanted to play music was we should see if we can get someone to put this out. Like you know, we should find an indie label that'll put this out, or we should you know maybe maybe we'll get like a maybe we'll get a big check from some big major label. Would we want to do that? Hot check selling out. Yeah, yeah, hot check. Um. But that that there was no that that's what the that's that version of creativity to us about music. What you know was the only thing you did was make CDs. Uh, you know, and 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 uh, the attendant stuff around that. I mean, I had come from from Providence, where there, there's a bit there was a big, very arty music scene. A lot of kids at RISD making a lot of posters. Every you know, every show in Providence was had these incredible four color silk screens that somebody had done. You know, right. And when we got to Chicago, nobody was doing that it, from the very earliest days. It was sort of like, well, if we're going to play shows, we're going to make these crazy silk screens, right? So we you know we'd make our own posters for all of our shows, and that wound us wound up getting us a lot of really great shows because. The 
local clubs would be like, you know, your cool band is coming through. If you want twice as many people, you know, if you, if you want great advertising for right. the show, we'll let this band open because they'll make their own posters for it. You know, it's and it, it it wound up having good business effects, but it was not at all like a Machiavellian like we're gonna go. Here's how we should promote ourselves, right. or nor was it like we need to take a a the 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 box that is music and try to explode it. It was just, we were creative people who wanted to, who wanted to chase our ideas. None of us are particularly, you know, none of us were the, the kind of musicians who had played 12 hours a day as little kids. You know, right. like, we all played instruments. We all really loved playing music and loved listening to music and loved the sort of culture around music. But it was part of a creative, it was like we liked chasing crazy ideas, whatever they were. And, at the time, in the late '90s, and, and then still through the early aughts, what that meant was you picked your you you picked a, a mode. You know, like right. it, for us, it was music, and it was like so you got to see if you can get if you can make a living out of this. And what that meant was selling records. And you know, if we had wanted to go into making films, that would have been a very different thing. If we'd wanted to go into making you know fine art, that would have been a very different thing. Sure. I, I worked as I, I worked as a graphic designer and a radio engineer for my day jobs when the band was starting, and I remember thinking, you know, like. Through through all of college, I had been very active in sort of graphic art stuff, and 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 like I remember realizing at some point I was like, God, I don't have the most recent version of Photoshop, and, yeah. and I don't know, I, you know, I don't know all the things I'd need to know to be an employable employable graphic designer right now. Like, wow, I'm actually making a choice to like instead of just chasing all possible creative outlets, I'm choosing to do music at the expense of other things I wanted to do um, that, that, I, that I remember feeling like God does this mean I'm an adult now that like I actually have to <laughs> choose right. a career path so that you know it I didn't really answer your question, but the point is, it was never like it, it, it. There was no way of thinking, or at least not for brains like ours. There was no way of thinking past the out, the confines of the music industry at that point. We always just made stuff along with it. It was you know whether it was the posters or little movies. Well, that's kind of like friends. It's, it's, it's the. I mean, it's become your brand, right? Like as as far as you know, most people are focused on the central product, right? Yeah, and, right. and maybe like you went to Interlochen, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and then RISD, like the the those two. I went to Brown, but it was it was okay. Yeah. Crossed with RISD a lot. Got it. So. But you know, it's just like it, it's it's funny because a lot of people and a lot of people we talk to are multi hyphenates of some sort, right? You mentioned yeah. graphic design plus music equals you know what you've come up with. Uh, um, when did I guess when did the the spectacle start becoming bigger? Uh, again, sort of like it's the, the whole time. I mean, I I, I remember I remember being with uh, you know um, with my my sisters, very close friend of mine, and uh, and often a creative collaborator of ours. And uh, when we were in, I, I was probably in junior high, and she was in high school. And we were I I, I remember coming back from church with my family, like like how utterly typical, right? We were coming back from church and dreaming about the rock band we were going to have when we grew up and like how but when when people ask us to do interviews we'll hand in paintings instead of words you know like <laughs> we, we're like yeah we'll do it like you know it's just the, the dream of a little kid to get to chase everything you want to do right and we're we're lucky and unlucky that the industries to which these particular types of creativity are connected broke right about the same time that we were trying to do them because uh, they they own like if music, if the music industry was really still healthy and well in, in terms of a, a, a financial model, right, th- um, there would be no room in it for people like me. Like you know, when they're when when they sell, if you can if you can make a record and sell lots and lots and lots of them, and make huge amounts of of money off of that. Yep. 
You have a great business. Well, model. there's also, uh, a, you know, a sense of showmanship, right? And showmanship exists differently depending on who the act is, right? James Brown, for instance, or Prince, like their showmanship was on stage in a sense. And, you know, taking that and putting into like a visual showmanship, I think, is kind of like your. Yeah. I mean, for, for us, it's just, again, it's sort of we just chase the ideas. And, and there's a very traditional part of it, which is we still sit and write music, sure. you know, with a, a acoustic guitar or, a, a you know, a drum machine or a piano or whatever it is we're playing. Beatbox, yeah, and and uh, and that still turns into recordings, and those still like we just keep chasing that farther than I think you know most bands sort of that's the end of their project, sure. and 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 anything past that you know a, a video is somebody advertising that product as opposed to something they make as a creative outlet, um, but the point is like I. Uh, you know, if if there if the industry were alive and well enough to have these big megastar like you know to there wouldn't the, the the little sort of peripheral stuff on the edge that would be us. You know, well you've also, you've also written a lot about that right about the business of music and you know your um, uh, vocal about some of the the derailings that have happened in the business. Yeah, why like why. Right? Why not just making music and and make? I your... just can't <laughs> shut up. I mean, I, I don't. I, I, it, honestly, if I had, if I really. If I had a, a a a way that the music industry could be more healthy, I'd be doing it. I, you know, like if I could go, you know, start my little startup, and that would that would make me bajillions of dollars and and make musicians happy. What a great life! But mostly, I I just don't I don't. I, I find ourselves in this weird position all the time. We make this. We we get to chase these really fun ideas, and. Um, and it doesn't fit anyone's model particularly, and so I just spend a lot of time thinking, about, like, how exactly did we wind up here? So I have to come up with models for what that, you know, like, oh, it must be because of this and this and that. But in terms of of what that means for me going forward, it's still like I just want to chase another crazy idea tomorrow. So I'm not, you know, like we're how to get people to uh, to monetize their recordings. I don't know if anybody ever will again. Sure, Hope, hopefully, because it would be great if there was if those were really a source of value. They may not be. I don't know. Do you feel like, you know, there's this theory that there is a, a, a growing mediocrity across music and entertainment, um, especially with the YouTube generation of discovery? And you're like, oh, that guy can sing. And then like, but he doesn't hold a candle to, you know, uh, someone like yourself. I'm a dangerous guest for stuff like this because I will just hey, pretend, man, get, pretend get, like uh, I know. Yeah, let's I do it. I pretend like I know <laughs> when I absolutely don't. But I, but uh w- Here's here. Uh, there are a few different sort of forces at work. I think one is that really, really spectacular stuff can shine where it ne- like, you know, a single amazing idea um, can pop out of nowhere. You know what? A great song, a great hook, a great, uh, uh, you know, a great joke, a great anything can pop out on the Internet and get everywhere really quickly. Whereas it used to have to go through a lot of gatekeepers. And if you're if you, if, if the purveyor of that particular idea didn't demonstrate that they were a good business model, then that one thing probably wouldn't get out. So now, I, I, in some ways, there's le- like we we get a million great songs all the time, but they're not from a million artists, and and you're, nobody's developing people who can do that long term because it's just there's no there's no money in it. There's no like there's no reason to invest in in people whose livelihoods are making great content of any kind if you know that that there's an infinite number of people throwing every possible type of shit at the wall to see what sticks right. so that then that that's music that's that's content of all, all kinds i mean like i think youtube embodies this that youtube very specifically is trying to put you know, get its get ad money that comes towards them 
slotted into their YouTube stars, like the people that they endorse as YouTube stars, right? right. Which, which are very, very low production value. You know, it's like, it's basically like whatever popped, you know, it's like, um, they don't have to develop it at all. It just happens, right? Because there's a, there's infinite number of people out there who want to do this stuff, and and whether it's unpacking boxes mm-hmm. or painting your your fingernails or whatever, like who knew these things You've seen would be both popular? Both of my YouTube videos, <laughs> right? Like they don't have to guess in advance what's going to work. They just have to see that it did work, and that's re- that's a great short term model in the sense that like what they can do is just look look at the numbers and be like, look, out of the billions of people doing this, whatever the hundreds of millions of people doing this, here are the 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 thousand most uh, unlikely successful things each of them operates with a thousand dollars a week five thousand dollars you know very low production budgets and and we can make them all stars and that's and and those people get it's great for those people because they get a they you know they get a, a cash infusion mu- uh, that they've never seen before sure. and and YouTube's like funneling all this ad revenue toward you know the, which they can take a large chunk of and it's 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 great for everybody in the short term, but what you have is nobody learning how to how to make like um, sophisticated or complicated material over the course of many years, right? Like these people may be may get really really great at the particular thing they're yeah. doing, and that may be all that we want or need as a culture down the road. But you don't. But the you know the sort of art forms that people spend lives learning. Right. Um. There's there's not a lot there's not a lot to it, there's no reason to invest in making very sort of. Um, well, it's like you know I wrote in, in my notes. I was like it's singles culture, right? It's right. you know an artist may pop. You're like oh, I love that song. It's you very rarely are we falling in love with artists, right? It's like moments that happen in the music. Yeah, community. you're saying it way better than I did. But that but that that is exactly the point that like the um I mean and, and you know to to be clear that people were saying the same thing to me in the late 90s early aughts when we started they were bemoaning the lack uh, within the music industry of of art, what they called art, artist development the idea was that like uh, uh the the bruce bruce the boss bruce springsteen yes that his his he was not successful in his first couple albums right and, and do i have this right he was like three or four albums in before he really broke because people believed in him and said look we gotta build this guy and build this guy and build this guy and when he when it happens man you know we've got a right. superstar in our hands that wouldn't by the late 90s that was definitely not happening but now but even investing in a full album or or or, or, or even the full artist at this point may not make sense it's just like if you've got a single and it's happening right now great then how did then if, if, if that was different in the late 90s how did you guys develop as you know longevity? Right, we're here. We are seventeen years later. Yeah, and you know, I uh, well, I mean, l- luck mostly, um, and uh, and perseverance, and 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 we're not pre- we're very precious about the things we make in one way, which is you know like we're we're super anal about making the things we want to make, um, but we're not precious about. Uh, you know, it's like like I th- we we were willing to work with a with with a brand sponsor way before most bands were. Right. Um, it was we we saw that as a way to have more creative freedom because we didn't have a middleman in the way going like, wait, this won't get on the radio. Mm-hmm. You can't make this. Who was the first brand? First one was State Farm, actually. Um, well, I think that was the first one. That was the first one for anything. Sort it wasn't FreeCreditReport.com. It wasn't. That wasn't you guys. Was it? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. It was they. They. They funded our Rube Goldberg video. Um, okay. Uh, and I know you've had some of the people who worked on that on this radio. Yep. Show. Brent. Um, no. 
and episode number i don't know it's just it it was but but they you know they were it, it was a very low investment for them um it, it just they were you know they put in a, a tiny drop out of their marketing budget to see what would happen if they invested on in some kind of crazy online scheme yep. and and it started like you know it got it's i don't know probably like 60 40. million no it's, it's up there yeah it's a lot of millions of hits i mean it was great great investment for them as it turned out but um that you know the the fear of selling out is something that was really beat into us all as as kids of the 80s and 90s and and uh we and we still you know i it, the pendulum has swung so far to the other side now that um, artists largely are going like anybody's money i'll take it let's run you know right. and 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 you do still have i you know having some artistic integrity or or knowing what you want to make and knowing where the walls to that thing are yep. that you won't go past well, so, is yeah, important that balance know? is yeah it's definitely there like the brand expects one thing or hopes for one thing and the the creative is hoping for one outcome and so where is that middle ground is that has that been um you know an easy path for you guys when you do work with brands or is it kind of or uh, you know have, or have you grown to a place of trust and like hey just go with it some of both i mean what, what i remember before any of the, i remember in it, back in our chicago days in the very beginning being um we had just signed to a major label which which itself was like man i don't know like major labels are scary and and we were asked if we wanted to participate in some in a, a McDonald's and Disney campaign of some kind, and being just like, and having a, a what was like a four hour debate in the practice space about whether or not this was selling out, and whether or not this was the end of the world, and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I, I those types of discussions now don't take four hours, and we, I think we know. I think we know where our line in the sand is right. uh, more clearly, and we know sort of what the effect of these things are. Like what you know, if you're in a if you're in a commercial that isn't a that isn't a great piece of art, is it going to end your career? Are you going to hate yourself? Like, do you wish you hadn't? You know? <laughs> Should have sold those fries. Right, but um, but also we have been you know the on the other side of that we have been we were in early enough and were successful enough doing doing things that had that had you know fairly high just a high bar you know it's basically like we're, you, you, your brand can have you know we'll, we'll say a thank you to the at the end of the video but no you don't get you know we're not doing everything in your brand colors we're not holding your product next to our face and shaking it we're not you know like here's exactly the way you are involved um, we had so much success with those things early on that now we can we have a lot of leverage when, we, when we're talking to brands yeah. like look this is what makes an OK Go video successful you're going to have to trust us on that even though I know you want your logo all over the place or you want us to say the brand name a million times none of that's going to happen and it would ruin the video so if you still want to sit at the table let's talk and usually people stay so that like that's a lot harder to do if you're you know if you're an unheard Just of starting band. Out. yeah exactly, exactly. So. uh so from 1998 till now like what's if if you could pinpoint it maybe there's more than one answer but what's been the uh, the single most significant change you've seen you know that has affected how you guys operate either musically or creatively uh Wow, I mean, the, uh, the internet is too big a thing, right? I mean, right. like obviously, di- digital distribution of everything has n- n- there so little of this was truly imaginable in the late night. I mean, I was working, th- I was working for a, a a digital 
ad agency basically in the late 90s um, i mean it, but what that meant at the time was like we do the website for your very traditional right. ad campaigns and you know my role there of course was like l- was literally like photoshop cleanup like i had no you know i was just a little peon in no big machine creative visionary they you were underutilized <laughs> but I, if they <laughs> they listened to my ideas they would have gone out of business way faster than they did but right. um but uh uh, so uh, you know, but and and people kind of had some idea that 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 um, music distribution was going to change and all of that. But I, I think the the idea that um, that the the I don't know that most people have totally accepted this, but it seems evident to me the 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 categories which we thought in it in the late twentieth century don't really exist anymore, like. It's being like music is in this box over here, TV is in this box, film is in this box, journalism is in this box. Uh, like th- those things don't like they've all crossed over. And right. either new categories are emerging, or it's just a big washy spectrum, and you kind of make up your own categories as a consumer of these things. But there was, um, you know, it was okay. So so we'll distribute music differently, but it'll still be music, right? Right. We'll distribute films differently, but they'll still be films. But if better pro, if if more. Uh, if if more robust programming and, and and like creative work is being done by in the ten hour chunks that become a Netflix series, then then the three hour chunks that are blockbusters, then which one is film now? You know, like right. if if more money eventually gets put behind Kevin Spacey as the president, then then you know. Sp- Spider-Man then I mean I, that's certainly not the case right now but but as as the money evens out for these things and you like what which one are you going to call film you know if people if people binge watch something for you exactly. know tw- 20 hours at home th- is that a movie like and and the same thing you know like mu- the biggest music streaming cool service was that your socks oh, I like thank those you. Those are lime green and, and shiny. Sorry, it threw me off. I, okay. just, it was almost blinding, but continue. If if uh, <laughs> if the biggest music streaming service on the planet is YouTube, right, right, like so so, is your music complete without its third channel? You got the right channel, you got the left channel, and you got the video channel. Like mo- ki- like uh, producers are, of ours have have ha- have kids who joke. Sorry, who who make fun of them for owning any CDs or records? They're like, and they don't say like, why don't you just listen to Spotify? Like they just use they use YouTube at party like that. They go to their friends' parties right. and they DJ using YouTube. So, so you don't necessarily no one's necessarily watching that video channel, but it's there. Right? Well, it's like a friend of mine uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, was talking about how her niece or nephew, oh nephew, wanted to make like you know. Um, Instead of making a, a mix CD for a girl he liked, he made a Spotify playlist and sent it to her. And that's kind of like the new, like, I like you. I'm going to send you these songs, right? It's yeah. The, the, and yes. I, I, but kinda, but oh. sorry, the point the point I was making though is that like, is if the if your primary listening source is YouTube rather than Spotify, then you're then it's already a video. So is music different than video? Like you know, and if if your primary source of news is is Fox News or The Daily Show, like are are you being entertained or are you getting your news? Like what? Which one is it? Like, and the, like these categories aren't aren't you know, they're, they're, th- those things don't exist anymore, even though we kind of want them to. Yeah, no, it's 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 the, the idea of convergence, right? Like, there's no real difference. And I think it, what it does for you know groups like you guys is 
it allows you to extend your brand across multiple mediums, right? But at the same time, there's a there you run into potentially a containment issue, like which platforms you need to be on, when and how. Like, do you guys run into that problem, or do you kind of focus on, hey, here's our brand presence, and then we're just going to keep focusing on the music? Like, do you, when Twitter jump, when Twitter launches, like, oh, we got to get me on that too, or Snapchat uh, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a little bit of that where. Um, we are greatly limited by how small of a company we are. You know, like um, if we want it, like we're not a platform; we're a bunch of dudes making stuff. You know, and you know, like the second, like really big viral hit on YouTube was us. Like, so think of how big YouTube is now and how yeah. not big OKGo is in the in the in the ten intervening years. Um, and that's the difference between building a tool for everybody else and building something for yourself. You know, um, so like. We don't often, uh, you know, we would love to have a staff who could be, we'd be like, you know, man, we got to, we got to man every social network there is out there. Yep. Um, but we don't. And uh, it, there's sort of a, you know, it, it, we kind of flip back and forth in terms of how we see ourselves because mostly we just want to keep on having opportunities to make all this stuff, but it does require a little bit of upkeep is like, oh wait, what are we right now? Are we, are we, you know, are we expected to have products that people can recognize sure like uh, do or do we need to like make some songs or some albums or some videos or some whatever or, or you know should we just see what hits us next and and like the next thing we release might be a book or right. a tv show or a movie or you know i don't know is that pretty much how it works though is it like uh, let's see what's going on or like do you, are you trying to hit like business goals along the way or is it, is it a mix and match of like creative I, freedom and sound business well practice? I will. I, I'll try to get to answering that by this very circuitous method, which you may have recognized <laughs> from my last answers. Uh, we got here largely because um, what we want to do mostly is one in a million shots. You know, like e even before any of this disruption of industry stuff. Sure. Um, there were more than enough people who wanted to be musicians. There was. There's. Like you, you got a one in a million shot, no matter what. Like it's, it's so, so you definitely can't let opportunities slide by. Right? Like you have to, every, if you want to have even a, a little bit of a shot, you have to say yes to everything, and you have to work, you know, one hundred and fifty percent of the time, and everything you has to, you make ha has to be perfect, and you like you, you can't ever let that slide away from you. But what that does is put you in a very reactive mode. So you can wind up 10, 15 years later with with the gut instinct that if something comes along that you could be doing, you fucking better be doing it. Right. You know? Like so if, if someone's offered us an opportunity to play a show here, get there and play it. If somebody's if somebody's paying us a little more than last time to go do X, Y, or Z, it, like l definitely do it. And so balancing you, you can't get your foot in the door without having that basic I mean you ha you just have to work that hard, yep. you know? But at some point, you also have to sit back and go, like, what do we really want to be doing, and are we doing it? You know, and so we've we've sort of done a little of both, where we do where we go like left foot, right foot, where it's kind of like, well, here's what's open to us in the next six months. Some of these are too good to pass up, but we also know we've been, you know, like we have now survived for long enough that we 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 feel fairly certain there will be more opportunities tomorrow, which was not a given in year three or even year eight, probably, right. you know. Um, but if we say no to this, there will be opportunities tomorrow. And in fact, the step past that, we could even think of something which will never come our way and go try to make it happen. You know, like we could it, like if and so that's the place where it's it's sitting around and going, is everybody still excited about this process? Songwriting? Yes. Recording? Yes. Touring? Sometimes, you know, and, right. and is there 
like if we're all into it, then yes, we'll do it. But there's increasingly times where it's like you know, Andy, our guitarist, also runs an app company, and he, he, you know, so he has plenty to do just putting apps out there. Uh, our our bassist and what are some of his apps? Are they some that we know? One, yeah, one that we released through the band. Um, it was called Say the Same Thing. It was a, it was number one in the App Store when it first came out. It, it's a social word game that has congratulations. Thank you very much. It it um. You remember when Apple, did, I think, was it their 50 billionth app that was finally sold? Or was it the 1 billionth app? I can't remember. Why, one or the other. Yeah, well. It, Somewhere in the middle. Well, the, whoever whoever downloaded that 50 or 1 billionth app got $10,000 of App Store money. And the app that they downloaded to get that was our app. Really? Bam. That is, I mean, that is poetic justice right there. Yeah. Like the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And speaking of, like, okay, so you've got all these massive creative moments, right? A Rube Goldberg machine. There's been talk of the album printed on DNA. You, you know, the congratulations on the VMA, by the way. Thank that, you very much. That was awesome. Um, you guys will pretty much be going to the moon next, I would imagine. That's the plan. Um, but I think, uh, where does the stimulation come from, right? You're, you're a, a small team, and I don't mean stimulation like, oh, let's take it. Like, I'm sure, like, the whiteboard looks amazing. But as far as, like, what are you know who are the people that you go to right who are the other brent bushnells like even i saw on your instagram you have a there's a scan of your brain oh right? yeah so you've got like there's all these mass interests but then i'm sure you're i don't know if you're a biochemist or you know like as far as i am not bringing these things to life right uh well I mean, there's it's sort of half and half. It's like if we come up with an idea uh, that, like, we knew years ago that we wanted to do a dance routine with dogs, it, it, like it, it, almost as soon as the treadmill video of 2006 or seven had done its giant like sort of explosion into the universe, um, we were like, man, what could we possibly follow this up with? And we're like, well, dogs. And so, but it took us five years to get that made simply because we never met a dog trainer who had the right like. First of all, we don't meet many dog trainers, but even when we went looking for them, we needed no somebody. No Craigslist posting, just yeah. No, well, that's. <laughs> I mean, you know that the 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 uh, the uh, Rube Goldberg machine was was basically a Cra- Craigslist posting. I, hmm. I I knew I wanted to make. I mean, that's actually a good. That's a better case in point than the the dog. Thank I, you. I I wanted to make a Rube Goldberg machine, and I knew that we needed engineers. I didn't know how to find particularly good engineers, so I there um there was a nerd site in L.A. called Mindshare at the time, and I mm, posted yeah. on Mindshare. I'm looking for one or two engineers for one or two months. And yep. um, and, do you know Dougie by chance? I do, yeah, um, and and he and many of his compatriots uh, answered us as, as a group of twelve, and we we're like, we can't hire you. Uh, we don't have enough money for twelve people, and they're <laughs> and they're like, doesn't matter. Just pay us what you would pay one person, and we'll split it up. And it, by the end of that project, it turned it turned into forty or fifty. I mean, it was you know, it's everybody and all their friends were right. hanging out. I find. So, so that's one way. It's go out and find the people. Another is just you know like meet somebody who's like I happen to be the world's best water skier. So and I'm like, well, we're definitely going to work together then. You know, like, um, <laughs> but usually, usually it's somewhere in between, and um, a, a lot of it comes from like uh, let's you know the the ethos you expect to find in rock and roll musicians is like pushing the boundaries man you know right like like i don't care about these rules i don't care about the way it's supposed to be done because this is the truth you know um that is not frequently found among musicians anymore that is mostly found among about uh, you know among technologists or you know computer programmers or pe- people who gen who who 
believe that the walls are there to be knocked down and that the rules are there to be broken. Right. Um, that that is just not how musicians tend to see it's their like job. Geeks are the new artists in a yeah. sense. Well, they can be at least yeah. the, the the sort of artistic free spirit thing is as often found in. Uh, in nerds and geeks as it is in musicians, if if not more so. So I, I find, like, I you know, I, I talk at a lot of conferences and I, I go to a lot of things where I know I will meet nerds and basically just get super inspired by them. Where's your, what's one of the favorite places you've been? Uh, in terms of your nerd meeting search. nerds? Uh, the um, Foo Camp, Friends of O'Reilly, you know, the, uh, O'Reilly Media. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they hold a, a invitation-only camping session every summer. I mean, it's right about now. I think I just missed it for this year. Um, and it is very, it's all people 10 times smarter than me with very, very, very interesting things to say. And it's not, no nothing programmed. They just have a whiteboard, literally, where they're just like, um, there's, there's 10 rooms and 20 slots. If you want to talk about something, write it up somewhere. People will show up if they want to. That's and awesome. It is. I uh, I met some some really really interesting people there. That's cool. Um, so when I think about an OK Go and and what it takes to pull these things off, uh, there's a, definitely a cohesive unit. What what's the Damien Kulash uh, Kulash Kulash? Uh, <laughs> I liked it the first time. You, you're right. It's cool. Uh, definition of chemistry. Chemistry. Oh man, um, you mean uh, um, among humans, or, yes. or am I supposed to like figure out the diff- difference? No, you them? don't have to do CO two or anything. I don't, I don't know. Um, I th- you'd like most of our stuff relies on a lot of collaboration, and people who collaborate well, I generally understand that collaboration is not art by committee. It's not everybody gets a vote. And, um, but it can only happen when when whoever is holding the sort of reins of the power tries to remove their own se- like uh, tries to look at what the best idea in the room is rather than the one they want to win so um i'm trying to put that in in a harder context it, the um the ad agency thing to do is client needs a say in this, agency needs a say in this, um, director needs a say in this, producer needs like so everybody's voice is equal. Let's make sure everybody's happy. That is a recipe for awful crap. <laughs> the um, but but most but the 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 flip side of that is usually sort of autonomous power where there's one person and whatever they say goes and everybody underneath them is going like this is probably this is not the best way to do this but you know and when when uh, uh, collaboration really works. What you have is a bunch of people who are self, who, who who know what they're doing, know they know what they're doing, so they're not threatened by each other. They just go, "Oh my God, what you just said was a great idea." And it's and when somebody can recognize a great idea in somebody else, and vice versa, everybody lets down their guard. You know, you right. stop you stop being like, "Who came up with this? Whose idea was this?" Like all that stuff just kind of disappears, and you wind up with everybody invested in this thing being great. And uh, usually, it means there's ten times as many ideas many of them very good as the ones you can use so as long as people don't feel left out because it wasn't quote unquote my idea um, if you can get rid of that you, like people people that's chemistry yeah we just had we just had a, a project launch a, a couple of days ago and it had been a few months in development and we were trying to remember who brought it up like we like no one knew we just all were excited about this thing actually happening and we literally could not remember who said what and who kicked it off so it's a it's, yes it's a, it's a but it's I, I think you're right like sometimes 
the human aspect gets in the way. Like they want the credit or the ego. Uh, if you want to get all philosophical about it, like it yeah, I mean it's the whole you know the um, what is it? Failure is an orphan, and and success has many mothers or fathers or whatever. Like the, yeah. um, but it it's it's actually uh, I, I was talking about this quite recently actually that that it. It actually is true that if you really love something you're working on, all of the ideas connected to it start to feel like yours. And, and people can wind up taking credit for things that aren't really theirs without being the assholes who are trying to steal credit from each other. You right. know, like that, that, um, that w- the, uh, the thing that is your baby is also somebody else's baby. And, and that's good. That's good collaboration. I mean, how you deal with the politics of making sure people don't then, you know, bite each other's heads off when something is successful and they all want credit for it. That's a different, different matter. But right. Have you had, um, I mean, what was the transition like you going from creative and advertising exec and like early stage band, or I'm sorry, uh, Photoshop, uh, Photoshop intern to, um, to actually like, you know, there's a huge business piece of what you have to do is, you know, uh, yes. Oh, and it's actually, you know, you uh, answer, you, uh, you asked an earlier question was like how, how, the, 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 something about what happened between, you know, the beginning of the band and now, and sure. it, it, it is we had to learn or i don't i don't actually don't know how other bands existed because i remember in the early aughts there's this it was already known to us that we were never going to get a royalty from our label that basically if you're huge really huge selling millions of records then it's clear that you are recouped with your label but most bands who are very successful the best business plan for them is to have their record label invest in them over and over and over again. And the and the and the company certainly wants you to think this because what you're doing, what they're doing, like they want to bill everything back to you basically. So by the time you actually can afford the audit that you need to show that your record label owes you money, you have to be very 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 successful. Wow. The, the point being that when you get that first advance from a record label. Don't consider that you're going to get to spend that. They're going to spend that on your career, and that's great. That's fine, but you're not you're not touching that. So, so the way you have to make money, like you know, for five or seven ish years, we had to make money. Some, we, you know, it was like you could make money from shows, you can make money from merch, you can make money from licensing. Maybe we, you know, there's there are things you can make money from, but it's not going to be from record sales. And so we never got used to our label paying us anything. So by the time it was time to like go our, you know, by the time we just had sort of irreconcilable differences with the music industry at large. I mean, it, it wasn't really with our own label. It was like... We divorce m- you, music industry. Yeah, it just wasn't a model for... It was like they wanted to care about numbers of records sold, which seemed irrelevant to us in a time when nobody was buying records, and, and we wanted to care about attention. And that was th- those weren't compatible in 2006 or whatever. So um, the... By the time we were out of that w- world, we had already learned to survive without an income from record sales. It was, it was, you know, whether it was our live shows, it was licensing things, it was sort of all over the place, and it's a little bit from here, a little bit from there. But it also meant that, like, it, you know, it was, it was like going to business school. It was sort of like you're, you know, ten years into this, stuff that seemed really impenetrable before was suddenly like, yeah, we know how to do that, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. What's you? Uh, what's the next? dog trainer project right what's that one thing that you've got burning that you're like oh man if only we had oh man uh well we have for a very long time i can't i don't know we we uh, (laughs) obviously we we'd very much like to go to outer space but who doesn't want that you know yep um i know a guy you know a guy who can go who doesn't want to go to space (laughs) no i know a guy who can take you to space yeah um there are uh, there are a lot of them um 
the 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 problem with the with having these our videos and our art projects in general be sort of like uh based in the in this fantasy world where it's like can you imagine if we got to blank you know, then if you ever get to blank, then you, then the challenge to yourself is shit. Now, now what? You know, yeah. and and um, the lucky thing is, it's always easy to answer that, but it gets increasingly hard to to do that, to execute, or to think of the next thing. Well, to execute, like I mean, you know, there's it, it become um, go, going to outer space as an example. That would be really really awesome, but. It's not just like who has the audacity to send us there. You actually like that's a it's, it takes a lifetime to be very good at being the type of scientist you need to be to be a good astronaut. Yeah. You know what I mean? I love I love the, the you know, the way you you guys col- collectively think about your creative endeavors. And it, there is this sense of, OK, go like just go do it. Because, yeah. because why not? Right. Um, as long as we are in agreement and we have the right resources, and nobody's going to die or have a, a limb blown. We're off. probably not going to. Yeah, die. probably. You know, there's it, well, I, really I, cold I, in space. It's really yeah. take a sweater. Well, I, I had to. Um, <laughs> I you know I had to learn how to stunt drive for one of our videos where we where we were playing we were playing instruments with robotic arms that were stuck to the car, and um, of course you were. Yeah, of course. And <laughs> uh, and it was you know, but the other guys had to. Part of that was filmed along a cliff, and I was going forty miles an hour. So Stunt driving a car that I had learned to stunt drive a week before that. So, like, um, how much th- urine was in your seat? I I, I was okay. <laughs> I, I actually have to. I have to hand the other. It's much scarier for the people who aren't driving because I'm at least know I'm in control of the car. So, right. like, that's I, true. I, I I and and they don't. They weren't there for m- all my training. So they, you know they 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 just have to trust <laughs> I'm not going to kill them. And the fact that they did is a testament to our incredible friendship. Chemistry. Uh, so the show is called Innovation Crush. What uh, you've seen a lot. And you th- you dream a lot. What what are you currently crushing on? Like, what have you seen out there? You're like, oh my gosh, that is. In- okay, here you go. Okay, long answer. Sorry, Elon Lee. Have you, have you had him on your show? Uh, no, you should. He he uh, he was w- one of the people who wrote Halo, and also um, uh, is is now the. Uh, he now runs Exploding Kittens, the most successful card game I believe in history at this point. Really? Yes. It was uh, it was a Kickstarter it was a Kickstarter program a uh, uh, Kickstarter thing for I think they were trying to raise ten thousand dollars last February. They raised eight million, and um, <laughs> it's a whole lot of cards. Yeah, and they and they have made one of the best card games. Man has ever known. It's called Amazing. Exploding Kittens. Exploding Kittens. All right. So it's Alan and the Oatmeal, the the incredible cartoonist and designer. Um, anyways. I was talking to Alon the other night, and he told me this story and got me so excited. He said he was talking to Joey Ito, the person who did all, who, who I think coded all the DNS servers you know of. He one of the fathers of the internet. He he saw this guy, and and to Alon, a, a a good red-blooded nerd, Joey Ito is a god. So he went up to him and he, and he talked to him for a little bit, and he said, "What are you most excited about right now?" So I'm going to give you Joey Ito's answer instead of my answer. Okay, feel free. He said, "Gut bacteria." He said that they believe that they have figured out. Not only do we know that the the, the you know the human biome is way more complicated and way more important than we have previously thought, but that there are these long. And now I'm I'm. This is totally telephone game, okay? Because I heard this from Milan, who heard it from him. I it sounds right know. to me and our audience. So right. you know, so audience. So- there will be people in this audience who know how wrong I am, and I want you all to know I know that I'm wrong, but I think it's a great story. Thumbs anyways. down at the very end of the There are long 
connect neural connections between your brain and and your stomach that go both ways. And this is not usually the case with your body. Normally, your brain can tell your body what to do, and you have and nerves that send back certain simple messages. However, apparently your brain has all sorts of connections to your stomach that are much more complicated than that. No one has really figured it out. They believe that the answer may well be that we actually have evolved just as a place for these bacteria to live. That we that essentially they have evolved us and not the other way around. That the bacteria in our guts have it, have pre, pre-exist humans by so many millions and millions huh. and millions of years that that I like Animals how Bobby has not heard the story yet. This is that's great. You stumped you stumped your publicist. Yeah, well, if, if she spent her time <laughs> on stuff like this, she would be as well, crazy. Next as time I. you call somebody shit for brains, it, it, well, because there's a two way connection between your gut. Precisely. And your, well, and when you think about your, you know, like thinking with your gut and all of that, it it uh, apparently we are just the puppets. They pull the strings. Gut bacteria is your brain. That's scary. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, so I'm going to stick with that topic for a second. Not gut bacteria, but this idea of DNA and coding and genetics. Because uh, I want to just tell the story to put it into context, or I want to have you tell it. Okay. This printing the album on DNA. Yes. Um, I, uh, and I'll let you go. All right. Well, we uh, we came to know that um, some some researchers at Harvard and UCLA had had um, had released a book on DNA and we were like wait that's uh, well okay that's that makes sense because DNA is you know what it is is code right and and of course if we can use that code to to encode in, information that you know up exterior information rather than just the sort of what makes life um that's kind of a game changer right it's it is actually the best storage that the world has come up with you know it's it's uh it is amazing in all sorts of ways that we could get into but now um, it's made of bacteria yeah right Uh, well (laughs) it, it has i mean bacteria is made of it so um the uh, so of course we thought, well, like you know, that's how we should release our next album. And we talked to the people who'd done the book, and we became friends with them, and and we decided to release our album that way. Uh, it, it's still not publicly available, as you you know, distributing DNA is not always that easy to do. Um, I know a guy. Yeah, you know, you know all the guys. Um, <laughs> but uh, it it turns it turns out to be a very, very, very fascinating math problem, um, more than it is actually a bio- biology problem, because the printers for DNA are now pretty commonplace. At least if you work in in a, in a, you know labs, they um it's they're they're essentially modified HP printers that that like actually like they're uh, inkjet printers that just. That uh, they may not all be HP. I'm probably wrong right. with it. Mod- modified inkjet printers that um, instead of doing CKMY, they are doing they're doing ACTG. Huh. They, and and they literally just print DNA. It's you know it's it's a not a ton of people doing it compared to printer printers, but um, it's not hard to do. It's no kinkos. Exactly. Um, however, how you deal with large large data sets that will be chopped up into tiny, tiny pieces and then need to be reassembled later, that's an incredible math problem. And how you deal with, with, you know, with, with the known error rates of those types of encoding schemes. Like, like basically, you know, I mean, it, get, it gets real, real. No, this is great. But, but um, and and I, I am not one. I of I have the, no idea what you're saying, but it sounds awesome. Well, no. <laughs> I, I, I can follow a lot of, of, of what they're solving, but I'm yeah. not. I'm not the one who solved any of it, and and I um and I don't know really know the solutions. But a lot of it, it's it's it is fascinating to it, like basically just take the data set you're working with, 
book size and make it album size and you have you know say that's a hundred times more sure. data you have you have it's not a hundred times more problems or you know it's 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 a it's it's order of magnitude more difficult and um and that's awesome well that is an order of magnitude but you, you got me <laughs> no i got it. i totally get it um so breathe this conversation in uh there it is Woo. um i won't do mine that because i don't know how fresh my breath is but um Thanks, i appreciate that you're welcome complete this phrase for me okay Innovation to me is uh, terrifying. <laughs> I don't know. I just no. Like, uh, it just might be. I, I, I don't disagree. <laughs> no, innovation is uh, okay. This it's like it's like energy coming out of a dog. Dogs when you when when dog hears someone outside, at least my dogs, they just start barking. They're just loud, and it's either someone comes to the door and they're like, "Oh my god." Or someone comes to the door who's like the mailman, like, oh my God, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. But, but, the, but the energy leading up to it is without valence. It's just energy. And like, and innovation is either the most exciting thing or the, or the most anxiety-inducing thing possible. It's just like pure energy. That is terrifying, though. Like the, the, that big unknown either way. Well, is. yeah. I mean, like all the changes in the, in the world around the music industry have been the most creatively freeing thing for my band and also basically ensured that we can never just sit back and collect a check for anything you gotta like it's always a slog because of that the know? duality yeah i want to thank you thank you and by the way i um because you spent time in michigan which i'm from detroit originally uh, yeah i have some friends at the at the detroit city city mm. distillery and this is uh number three of batch 264 or batch number three of 264 wow uh vodka I wish you'd given this to me before we talked. Oh, It'd be a much more interesting. Well, let's discussion. do. We can do uh, part two yeah. one, one day. Um, Thank you. This over an amazing. entire bottle of vodka. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't be the first time. Uh, how can people see your, find you, see your brain on uh, Instagram? Where do, you, where do uh, your social My Instagram handles? account is Damien Kulash. It's so smart of me, huh? D A M I A N. K U L A S H. And the band is OK Go, and uh, our website is okgo.net. Um, I think we have an Instagram account too, so it's probably just OK Go uh, that often reposts things that I post. Um, I am not on Twitter or Facebook myself because I, it's, I'm it's too much. stuck in the old. Yeah, the, because of the because innovation scares us. Because it's terrifying. Yeah, terrifying. Um, anything else you want to say to people? You want to wish everybody luck? I don't know. <laughs> Good luck, everybody. <laughs> Good luck, everybody. Yeah, hey, every, you know when you end an interview in Japan, they always say, "What is your, what is your message to the Japanese fans?" And every there's, it's like we've just talked for like an hour. I don't know what what other message do you want. And every single person always an, answers with like, "We just want to say thank you to our Japanese fans. We love you so much. We love you so good to us." And I've so now my I wonder what would happen if people answered that differently. To people, uh, think about your relationships seriously. Yeah, do that. Do that. That's better. There's better advice. Uh, <laughs> I well, I'm gonna, by next time I'm going to come up with some advice that I can answer. That's fine. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do a special Damien Kulash uh, advice episode. Yeah, look uh, both ways before crossing. And until then, everyone, thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Innovation Crush, and we'll talk to you next time. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, 
Liza Schleichinger. Schleichinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore because it's here and it's funny and I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.